The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in industry and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, innovation versus operations. Let's talk. Innovation, as most of you know, tops the agenda for many CEOs. But CIOs are focused on ensuring sound operations. That is their job. But we all know that both agendas are critical to your company's survival and growth. And growth is where you want to be looking. So the question is, is it possible to foster a culture of innovation to please the CEO without compromising operational integrity, which would compromise the CIO? That's a big challenge. I have a panel of experts who will speak to this very issue today. Let me get the ball rolling. First up. First in the hot seat is Dave Jordan. He's vice president of the Transformation Practice Enterprise Solutions at Tata Consultancy Services. Many of you know them as TCS. And he sent me a wonderful quote from Mark Twain. Quote, the man who doesn't know where he wants to go shouldn't be surprised when he ends up somewhere else. Dave Jordan, welcome to BizBuzz. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Talk to me. Mark Twain, great quote. I love it. I can't even imagine. I think I know where I'm supposed to be right now, so I'm in the right place, and I know you are. But how does this apply to our discussion of CEO, CIO, innovation, operations? Talk to me, Dave. Well, the reason that this resonates to me is that um, I always find it amazing. Well, first of all, on any transformation of a 1,000 steps, if you don't have absolute clarity on your objectives and where you want to go, those thousand steps will be uh, 2,000, and you may not meet the objectives that, that you set out for. So um, absolute clarity is critical. And what I see time and time again when I uh, engage with very large clients is really confusion about the end game. On one hand, uh, the CIO, CEO will be focused on things like improving the customer experience to change the net promoter score, for example, while mm-hmm. the uh, methods and tools and approach on the ground fostered primarily by the CIO and IT is often more geared towards operational efficiency and effectiveness, hence this paradox. Uh, and dichotomy b- between mm-hmm. um, these various agendas. So um, I feel that the practitioners it, here have an obligation to bring clarity and to help our clients um, get this right, the critical balance between these, not either or, but the critical balance. 
Dave, do we see a real battleground forming in the C-suite when they have meetings and the CEO says, but, and the CIO says, but, and, and is there a, a real battle going on or is this something that's very civilized and, and uh, kind of there but not escalated? Just quickly, what do you see? I, I see it as uh, more the latter. It's, um, it's subtle. It's often not discussed or debated at all, yet I think it's at the root of the the dissatisfaction in the C-suite about uh, accomplishments of these transformation programs. If the CEO is expecting breakthrough innovation and the CIO is focused on uh, operational efficiency, of course you have a mismatch, and you mm-hmm. see it subtly and after the fact. It That's what I wanted to know. With, with violence and uh, uh, energy right up front, and that, I think, is the problem. Okay, thanks, Dave. Good start to our topic. Let's welcome Mark Sassir, Vice President, Principal Analyst at our friends at Forrester Research. Glad to have you, Mark. You sent me the following quote, nearly all CIOs want innovation, but most innovations occur as a byproduct of a project rather than as an end to themselves. Mark Sassir, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. So talk to me. This is right along the lines of what Dave was talking about. So they want innovation, but you're saying, well, really not top of mind. It just kind of happens. How is that? You know, it's, although I feel a little bit guilty with the quote, Dave came up with a classy quote from Mark Twain. I really <laughs> quoted myself, so I'm feeling a little bit self-serving here. But what I meant by that is I, I, I interview a lot of CIOs in terms of what they're doing with regard to their organizations. As part of it, I always ask the question, Okay, are you being innovative? Is there an appetite for innovation within the organization? And, you know, I always get the same answer. I get, yes, we want more innovation, um, and we'd like to be doing more. But then I start asking them, okay, do you have a process for innovation? Do you have funding for innovation? You know, what have you been able to do specifically around that area? And I usually get some variation on the same answer. And that answer is we'd love to be doing more, but, one, we don't have funding for it. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have a process to encourage it, at least not a formal process to encourage it that much. And, frankly, most of what we're doing these days is just trying to maintain existing levels of service. So part of the problem is that they have with that is they have so many people, they have so many they have so many demands on the IT organizations that though these are inherently innovative people, they are technologists. They are kind of geeks like me. They like, they like this stuff, but they're so busy, what I call maintaining existing levels of service, that right. it's very hard for them to be innovative. So what happens is the innovations happen as a result of projects. So you have a project. You're deploying SAP. As part of that project, you're saying, well, what can we do in the area of business intelligence? to add a piece on that project, kind of sneak it in under the radar so that we can find some more innovation, so that we can do something innovative. Mm -hmm. So it's not a project by itself. It's sort of something that they sneak in on the side of the project to to get that innovation that they would otherwise like to have. Thank you, Mark. So it sounds like CIOs are really more aligned with CEOs in terms of the innovation agenda than maybe they want to admit, but you're saying they really don't have the time and the bandwidth to focus on it, but it happens anyway. That's not a bad thing, is it, Mark? It's in everybody's interest, correct? It's not a bad thing. The motivation is right. The attitude is right. They want to go in that direction. They just find it's difficult because all the other things that they have to do. 
Okay, good. Thanks for setting that up. And let's welcome our third panelist today, Sven Wittern, who is Head of Operations for SAP Business Suite on HANA, go to market at SAP. And this is the first time Sven sent me an interesting quote mm-hmm. from an artist, a classical artist, the first time we've had Edgar Degas on the show, so to speak. And the quote is, painting is easy when you don't know how, but very difficult when you do. Love the quote. Sven Wittern, welcome to SAP Radio. How are you, Sven? Well, very good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Tell me why you picked this quote, and let's relate it to our CEO uh, versus CIO. Go ahead. Yeah, this is a little bit of a, of a jump. But as I'm, I'm painting on my own, I experience this uh, for myself uh, many times, and, and I think everybody recognizes the situation. You stand in front of a picture, a great painting, and, and think about, wow, that's art. Well, actually, my, my, my grandma <laughs> could, do, could do this even better or so. But when you look at the situation that we have here, I think it's pretty much the same. Uh, you see so many uh, good advice and uh, articles about how the CAO should engage with the CEO, what he should do, how to deepen the relationship, how to improve uh, his business understanding. But I think this is everything is on the surface there. And I think I, my hope for this discussion today is that we can go a little bit deep and look behind. I think there is much more behind. And when you look into this, you find out that the devil is really in the details. And it's, there is no easy solution. Um, there might be some general advice, but I think uh, every situation is there, very unique. And uh, hopefully today we find some, some interesting answers in our discussion here. I appreciate that. And Sven, do you agree with what Mark said, that CIOs are really on board for innovation, but they really don't have the time, the budget, the bandwidth to pay attention, but they're glad it's happening anyway as technologists. Do you agree with that? Well, actually, yes. I think the CIOs, um, they have heard so many times this request, you need to be innovative, you need to support the innovation of our company. but the question is, how can they do this best? I think uh, what uh, Mark just said is bringing operational excellence to the table is the first thing they need to do. Otherwise, if they can't deliver on this, well, nobody will talk to them. They will out of business pretty soon. But this is the, well, uh, I think it's the stake they need to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. When they bring this, they can start to think about how can I bring innovation into the company. And then the actual discussion starts. And also, this is Dave. Um, yes. What what I think Mark emphasized is that the the focus is on uh, operations and innovation. Although they are on board with it, innovation is a byproduct, and it 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 sometimes happens. But you know, my feeling here is that to uh, quote uh, somebody else out there, that mm. hope is not a strategy. Um, and hoping for innovation to occur as a byproduct isn't something you can hang your hat on and, you know, rely rely on. So I, I think uh, to Sven's point here, uh, we as a, a group of practitioners owe it to the C-suite to um, get that framework for uh, balanced innovation with operational excellence. It's not either or, but both. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. Creating that framework is the key. And that's what we're going to talk about. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think what's unfortunate, and speaking of Dave, actually Sven in particular, is that you know, CIOs would like to be more innovative. They can't, but to bring in the operational mm-hmm. excellence piece on this, a lot of the innovations that have come out just haven't scaled very well. It, it used to be, I remember 
I'm old enough, so I remember back in the old days, probably uh, 12 years or so ago, when I was looking at IT organizations, they would have ATGs, advanced technology groups, R&D groups within mm-hmm. IT, and they would build these applications that, you know, I was running IT at the time, I considered toys. You know, they would work mm-hmm. for some select group within the IT organization or within the business, and they would work for a relatively small number of people with limited functionality. But if you tried to scale them past that small group, you found that they broke down very quickly. So this is where the operational excellence comes in. One of the nice things I like about CIOs who are interested in, in innovation, um, even whether they attach it to a project or not, is they're able to put people on these things that can make sure the innovation scales, that is both robust and secure. And that way it's not going to get killed once it starts to, uh, to pull out of the small group that it was originally targeted at. Thank you all for the good discussion. You know what? We're going to save it for the roundtable, but I have a note for Dave Jordan. I'm looking. I looked up Hope is Not a Strategy. It happens to be the title of a book by Rick Page called The Six Keys to Winning the Complex Sale. He's a personal trainer to 25,000 sales superstars. I'm not sure. Sorry for for the plug for Rick Page, whoever he is, but what can I tell you? Uh, It's right next to on Amazon, a book by, oh, it's also the title of a book by, about, uh, Barack Obama, Leadership Lessons from the Obama Presidency, Hope is Not a Strategy. Wow, popular. Good play, Dave. You know what? I I think you all like each other enough, but we're going to do what we call the little icebreaker here before we go to our first break, gentlemen. And I'm going to ask you first, Dave, then Mark, and then Sven, what's in your cup today? You knew this was coming, and I know you all have a great answer. So if you're not drinking something very fascinating and very delicious, tell me what you wish you were drinking right now. Dave, Jordan, TCS. Talk to me. <laughs> well, for this time of day, it's pretty easy. It's cl- clearly Starbucks. But it does remind – your question reminds me of a, a very recent event where I just returned from the uh, Portuguese resort town of Goa, India, where the, the natives had great fun with this naive tourist by introducing <laughs> and insisting uh, on a drink called pina, which is actually fermented cashew, that tastes great. And uh, I noticed they were uh, sitting back and laughing at laughing at, at this dumb guy who didn't realize that there was a tremendous moonshine-like kick to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so sent me for a loop. So the moral of the story is beware yes. of drinks bearing gifts or drinks and always know what's in your cup. Oh, I love that. That You know what? we got to crochet that on a pillow somewhere, Dave Jordan. That was a gem. Thank you. I knew I could count on you. Mark, I won't ask you to top that, but just simply what's in your cup today. Mark's well, is not, here. Dave. Now you kind of set the bar a little bit higher. He did. Um, I, am, I am also partial to Starbucks. It's sounding like a, sounding like a commercial for Starbucks. And I also, That's okay. I, I ride bikes a lot with friends, and, and we usually stop for a coffee at the end. And I started with one group a couple of years ago, and at the end of the ride, it was a relatively short ride, we stopped off at Starbucks, and I was looking forward to something fun. I was looking forward to a, a mocha frappuccino, which I'd never had before. Mm. I said, now's the chance to do it, because these guys like Starbucks. We just had a long ride. Great. And one of the friends who was clearly turned out to be a killjoy said, you know, that has the nutritional equivalent of two bacon double cheeseburgers and a couple of donuts. <laughs> oh, so I, so I, didn't, I didn't drink it. I felt guilty, and I ended up having some stupid protein shake that tasted like something came out of a vat in New Jersey or something. <laughs> so I went, I went on a bike ride last summer to Wyoming and yes. Idaho. 
And oh. as part of the bike ride, it was with a group of people. We went over what's called Grand Targhee Pass, which sounds a lot more impressive than it actually is, but, but I can make it sound impressive anyway. And this was a 70-mile really, really hot day. And at the end, we were looking for an ice cream shop because that's the only reason that you ride a bike is so that you can eat ice cream at the end of the day or drink beer <laughs> later on in the day. Well, the only thing we found was a Starbucks. And so we all decided collectively, well, with 70 miles, having gone over Grand Targhee Pass, we deserve a mocha frappuccino. So we all had mocha frappuccinos, the largest that they had. Wow. And I found that it was the best drink I have ever had. And now it's become standard on every Yay. long, hot ride that I have in the summertime. At the end, when we stop for coffee, I get my mocha frappuccino. And I don't care that, it, that it's the equivalent of eating bacon, double cheeseburgers, and a half a dozen donuts. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Sven, no pressure, my friend, but boy, have you got two stories ahead of you. Wow. Make something up, for goodness sake. My my engineer, Brad, is saying, mmm, donuts. (laughs) Okay, Sven, what are you drinking, or what do you want us to pretend to think you're drinking? Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't have coffee because it's already evening here in Germany. That's right. (laughs) So, um, otherwise, I couldn't sleep. But I found out, uh, found a very interesting drink over the weekend. It was a Homemade lychee lime juice soda with some fizzy tablets. Uh, I found this recipe in, a, in an American cookbook about, well, modernist, modernist cuisine. And uh, they describe with very detailed uh, steps how to produce these fizzy tablets so that you, in the end, uh, drop into the um, lychee juice. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever tried lychee juice uh, uh, purely directly out of the container. It's, it's not very funny. It's, it's, uh, well, it's a little bit uh, boring. <laughs> And so I had this this tablet and I tried it and uh, you have to put in in soda there and then you have some water to bake it to this tablet. But if you have too many water, too much water in there, it starts uh, bubbling already before you have dropped it into your drink. So I don't know how many attempts I had until I had the perfect tablet and then I dropped it into this when we had guests and Wow, I was really surprised. It made the lychee juice uh, uh, really tasty and was was a big experience. Uh, so this was a great surprise, and I will try this again. <laughs> so so you I had this experiment on your guests. <laughs> he did. Uh, no, it was actually at the desk and in, in my kitchen at home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a man of great, great faith and great fortitude. I have to say, Dave, Mark, and Sven, this is probably the most interesting coffee break segment we've had in almost 150 shows. Thank you. I can't stop laughing. That means I have to take a break because I've got to get a straight face on here, a poker face, because we've got a lot to talk about. Our topic today is innovation versus operations. Can your company have it all? We're talking about possibly the rift between the agendas of your CEO and your CIO, but maybe they're really keeping everything in mind together. They just think they have to talk about different agendas. We'll find out more from my special guest today, Dave Jordan from TCS, Mark Sassir from Forrester Research, and Sven Wittern at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, in case you're wondering, and you're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changes presented by SAP. We are live. Today is March 4th, 2014. Can you believe it's March already? What can I say? Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, whatever. Brad, take us out. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss the next part. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Business models have a short shelf life. 
today's reality. Given shifting technologies, real-time information, and collaboration across time zones, competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud. The bottom line? Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. And I'm talking today to Dave Jordan at TCS, Mark Sassir at Forrester Research, and Spend Wittern at SAP. And we're going to launch right into our roundtable topic today. If you just tuned in, is innovation versus operations, CEO versus CIO, question mark. And the question of the day is, can you have it all? So, Dave Jordan, I'm going to get started on this roundtable. We're going to go about 25 minutes nonstop, so put your seatbelts on. Let's talk about the fact that each leader in the C-suite has a key area of focus, and they're all tasked with delivering business value. That's why they're there. And you say you believe there are some core must-haves that should be part of a transformation engagement, and you cited to me before the show creativity, collaboration, and clarity. So, Dave, let's kick this off. Let's tie this back to our operations innovation dichotomy, or really, is everybody aligned? Go ahead, Dave. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, Mm -hmm. So, my uh, perspective and observation uh, on this is that the transformation programs that work best, that are considered uh, hit the ball right out of the park uh, successes, are those where, um, first of all, um, operational effectiveness, for example, uh, improving cycle times on order to cash and reducing the uh, days outstanding, day sales outstanding, are a significant part of the agenda, and that's used to fund the really innovative parts of this, mm-hmm. like, for example, um, improving the company's net promoter score or, or how they interact with their customers. Dave, can you tell me what Net Promoter Score is? I'm not familiar with it, and I heard you mention it before. What is that, if you can clarify for the audience, please? So this is a concept coming out of the Harvard Business School, which mm-hmm. the CEOs are – there's a bit of a feeding frenzy around this now. But it's very simply put is that um, rather than measuring customer service in the traditional fashion, it asks the simple question, are you prepared to recommend uh, this company – to your friends in, in peer group, and that's effectively the net promoter score. And okay. uh, CEOs are taking this on as a, a main driver of, of their business, and it requires significant innovation in everything that they do as it relates to the customer. So um, that's what I'm referring to, to there. Um, 
Okay. And Thank so the, you. The real point here is that uh, improving your order to cash efficiency or effectiveness is great and provides significant value. But in my view, it's not enough because it's not touching the customer. So the bottom line to me is real value comes from changing the customer's perspective about the company. And that's what I think the, the agenda needs to address. Okay, Mark, this is your Forrester. Yeah, t- chime in, please, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, w- I would think also that if you're focused on an individual business process, whether it be order to cash or whatever it happens to be, I think there's a tendency within organizations, and I've seen this particularly within IT organizations, to say the end all is that business process. And it really uh, becomes becomes so skewed towards operational excellence, and it's very easy if you're in the IT organization to forget that there's a customer at the end of it. I think Net Promoter mm-hmm. Score provides a focus for that. I know some companies, and I was talking with Blue Cross, one of the blues, uh, one of the Blue Cross Blue Shields earlier today, who was saying they took Net Promoter Scores, they they then translated that into what it means from a customer experience standpoint, and now everything that they do is focused on that customer experience. And, oh, by the way, you know, we still have to have the operational excellence around that particular business process, but everything has to, has to be measured in terms of how it improves that customer experience. So I think the net of it is there's a tendency for IT organizations in particular to get so fixated on an individual process and forget that there's somebody at the end who has to be using this. Okay, thank you. Sven, I want you to join in here. You want to comment? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think... Uh, the Net Promoter Score is, is a great concept really to bring the company in line with the, with the customer perspective. But when you see the challenge for many CIOs, I would broaden this, the, the perspective here a little bit. I have talked to CIOs that say, okay, I understand what my sales guys are doing there and I need to support this and I, we need to become more market focused. But on the other side, I have the situation in the company that my manufacturing department here or my F&A department, uh, they have different challenges. They have a different nature. They think uh, in a different way than, than the guys that are out there at the front and, and help uh, and serve the customer. So I, as a CIO, need to help those guys as well. And I may need a different approach for those guys. Well, instead, and, you're, um, you're kind of in a, in a unique position, too, as the CIO. Um, what you're talking yeah. about are the individual silos within the organization. You've got, you know, three or four different sales groups. You've got a manufacturing group. You've got, uh, you've got finance. You've got all these things which sort of have their own individual needs. And I think what's interesting is that you as the CIO or any CIO becomes the one where the, the one place where all this comes together. I mean, the, the biggest interest I have right now within organizations is how do we make, how do we make stuff more global? You know, how do mm-hmm. we have a global process for customer satisfaction or customer improvement or something like that? And it, en- it ends up falling into the CIO's lap to be the one to say, well, we've got all these individual silos. Now I have to be the one, or my organization has to be the one, to pull all this, all this together so we have more of a global organization. And, and in fact, that's why I sometimes think the name should be Chief Integration Officer because mm-hmm. the CIO plays the pivotal role Yes. And uh, harmonizing all these different silos, yep. I often think of it as a uh, conductor in a symphony orchestra that somehow the CIO needs to get the percussion session in sync with the uh, strings and the, the, um, the brass and the various uh, elements or uh, functions of the orchestra and somehow uh, with 15 different groups make beautiful music. And that mm-hmm. is the CIO's uh, province. 
Um, and you, you know, you, you know when you hear a beautiful symphony, and you yes, know you do. when you don't. And Dave, I want to bring in a, something that Sven sent me before the show in his notes that is right on this point. And Sven, you can comment on this. He says CIOs need to find their role in the corporate triangle between CEO, CFO, and COO. Sven, talk to us about this, please. Well, yes. Actually, this is referring a little bit to what, what I just uh, brought up. I think when you see the uh, CEO, which is for me also, I think, uh, some sort the, the stakeholder for the entire business view in the company, he has also some, well, discussions with the CFO, who has a totally different perspective on a business, and the COO again. So what I saw with CIOs here when, when you talk to them, they said, well, when I purely support the CEO with his innovation agenda, well, uh, we had this point before, I may not be able to support the CFO mm-hmm. with, my, uh, with operational excellence. The, the, the CFO, he's looking at this. If I don't have my numbers right in time and if they are not accurate and if you don't serve me uh, uh, with my needs, well, the company will <laughs> be out of business pretty soon. So he has a totally different agenda. So the first thing is he needs to talk to the individual stakeholders and understand their needs. He needs to adapt mm-hmm. their DNA. And I found a very great example there. It's, it's, uh, I think it was a CIO of uh, for Procter & Gamble, and he said, well, I have brought the people from the various business units into my company. I hired them into my, my, my team because I need to understand uh, what the business is thinking, the different functions from research over F&A, over um, uh, operations, and so on. Because in the business, the business in the meantime became really IT savvy. They understand what I'm doing here. So I need with my IT to become and also become business savvy because I want to level the playing the play field here. Okay. I think one of the one of the issues though is you're putting an awful lot on the CIO by doing that. I mean in some cases CIOs are very much up for that. I know uh, Capital Group, Julie St. John over there, is somebody who would feel very comfortable in this role. Some others who I would not name you know, look what you're adding on to their plate. You're adding on orchestration. So there's a level of mm-hmm. communication and assertiveness and political savvy that they have to have to be able to orchestrate across the business units. And you're layering on innovation. They've got to be enablers of innovation and take the risk of those innovations not working. At the same time, they need to serve the CFO. They need to serve the CEO, the individual business leaders. And in many cases, they're reporting to the CFO, and they're not even a part of those informal hallway conversations where so many decisions get made. So I think it's great that they should be doing this, and I know CIOs that are doing this, but I know a lot of them that either structurally or, or by, by the fact that they've been, been brought up as technical people just really aren't positioned to be able to do it. Uh, and I'll tell you, just listening to this conversation, my conclusion is CIOs need a raise. Well, I'm sure they'll appreciate that. I want to read something from something Mark told me before the show. And and Mark, if you've covered this already, fine, but I think it needs to be spoken very clearly. You say IT, as we're talking about, is in a unique position to enable innovation, but they cannot be seen as the primary source. And in fact, you add, the worst thing, and this is strong, the worst thing a CIO can do is set up a group to be the innovators. They need to be facilitators of innovation. Have we covered this already? Because I know we're coming coming in from a lot of different directions, mm-hmm. but this is very strong, Mark. Why don't you address this? The worst thing a CIO can do is set up a group of innovators. What's the basis for that? Yeah, a little bit. Well, uh, actually, the research basis is I did a study. Uh, my, my name around Forrester has become synonymous with failure at Forrester because I wrote the series <laughs> on it. And okay. This is one of the elements that, 
that failed fairly consistently, and that was that you set up a group, you call it the ATG, Advanced Technology Group, the Mm R&D group, and you say, okay, guys, you are now responsible for innovation within the organization. And what happens is everybody resents them. You know, innovation which is happening in the front lines, innovation which is happening in the business just doesn't happen because people think, well, you know, why am I doing it? These guys are over off. They're the ones who are responsible for innovation. What seems to work better is if you, you can set up that group, but they become enablers of innovation. They take on two things. One is they identify, okay, who needs innovation within the business, within IT, within whatever part of the organization you're talking about. Then they look at what the sources of innovation would be, again, in all those groups, as well as within the consulting partners, within the external services firms that you're working with. Where are innovative things? Um, and then they, bring those th- then they bring those folks together and they enable that innovation to happen. But again, worst thing is if they become the sole source of innovation. Okay, good point. Sven or Dave, you have anything to comment before I move on? Everybody no, I, I, cool I with that? I think that nails it. Yeah, okay. I, I really uh, think that, that's right. But uh, I w- can also imagine of CIOs that say, well, we, we are the drivers of innovation in a company. But I think it's pretty sure to, uh, to important to make sure that they understand they are not the ones at the forefront, at the first uh, line uh, who drive the innovation. Uh, this is always the responsibility of the business. It can't be uh, the, the CIO. That's, uh, you would be in the, uh, in the wrong position there for this. Right. Okay. In fact, you know, the, the yeah. CIO, um, it's interesting to me, uh, and I completely agree with what Mark and Sven just said, but the CIO is the person who needs to be on that uh, balanced edge between the, the bleeding edge and the leading edge. They mm-hmm. need to make sure the organization doesn't take on too much risk uh, while at the same time promoting advances in technology and uh, newest techniques to make sure that the companies are innovating. So it's an interesting a balance between innovation and risk management. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Spend, I want to talk about something you told me right on this point. You say CIOs, and this is interesting. You choose your words very well. CIOs need to regain initiative over the technology agenda. Otherwise, they'll be hit by the big wave of new technological and economical hype topics. So you're saying they do not currently have control over the initiative on the tech agenda. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, Sven, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this, this, this statement came to my mind uh, when I was recently visiting a customer here in Germany, and we had a discussion very intense there with, with the CIO and his, his team. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, there are so many things, not only coming from from us here, I think overall in the technology, it's, it's 3D printing, you have augmented reality, you have machine-to-machine communication, cloud, well, that's not that new, and you, now you come with in memory, whatever. How can I deal with this? I need an expert for everything. And uh, my business, I already know, they come to me, my, my business guys say, I want this, I've heard about this. I want, mm-hmm. uh, I need whatever, 3D printing. I want in product development augmented reality. How can I deal with this? So my discussion or the discussion we had with him was that we say, well, you need to understand, obviously, these technologies pretty early because when the business comes to you, you need to be prepared uh, to have the discussion with them and guide them and help them and be a, a, well, 
built a trusted uh, advisor role there saying, well, this makes sense for you and this doesn't make sense for you. Uh, because otherwise they are always driven by the demands coming from the business and they only can respond. Uh, and that's, that's a very, very, very unhappy situation for them. Yeah, and I, I particularly like one of the things you added in that they need to tell them, in my words, not yours, but yours are close to these, what the limits of the technology are. So at the very least, they're, they're, um, they're, they're creating an educated decision maker. They're, they're, the folks are making an, um, a decision where they're aware of all facets of it. And I think it's, it's easy to suggest, and IT does this all the time, what you can do with technology, but sometimes what you can't or at least what the consequences of going down the bleeding edge, they're not, they're not often explained very well. Okay. Yeah. Dave, anything and to add there? No, I think that summarizes it pretty well. That you know, you Spend, guys, I heard you. Go ahead. Larry Sweet is the CEO of NASA. And you think if any group would be innovative, it would be folks on the business side. They don't call it that the business side of NASA would have an opinion on what to do with technology. So Larry is, is looking at a role of almost providing a consulting role to folks on, as he called it, the rocket scientists, and he's not kidding in this case, over mm-hmm. at NASA to suggest here's some of the things that you can do with technology, but also more importantly, here's some of the things that you can't do in a way to make it applicable to all of NASA, to the IT side of NASA. So he's taken that role that Sven talks about pretty seriously of, of an advisory role to the people who are some of the most technical people in the world on what can be possible with IT, but also what's difficult to implement. Sven, mm-hmm. I heard you. Sven, do you and, want to comment? I think it's, yeah, it's also, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's also a very positive message for the, the CIO and the IT departments because it, it broadens their scope and their importance. I think everybody has already heard uh, the, the, I think, the saying that everything becomes digital. Well, if this is the fact, I think the CIO needs to be in everything. Uh, he will be part of everything. In the end, he will be also part of the production because everything becomes digital. So uh, he only needs to broaden the scope beyond what is currently classical IT, uh, so he becomes really, well, some already called themselves a chief technology officer, and I think that's what, what just uh, you described with the NASA. I think you need to have a really broad scope on technology, not only pure focus on, on IT. That's such a great point, and it, again, the, the challenge in the job of the CIO is tougher than ever, but more exciting as well, because think about this, as uh, digitization increases everything from the product itself where uh, IT is embedded in the very product that's being offered uh, to you know the back office functions or the uh, customer experience touch points uh, it's just pervasive across the organization everything they do from uh, product to customer to supplier uh, it is, it is, in many ways, the heart and soul of the business. So um, the, the CIO is part evangelist, part uh, protector, part integrator, and really has a critical job in making sure that um, they're out there on the leading edge, maybe bleeding sometime, but managing the risk each step of the way. It's a fascinating challenge. Yeah, Dave, I just wonder what the, what the limits are and how to decide those limits. I mean, uh, Larry and his people are not going to be able to, to provide um, help on a guidance system for the Mars rover. And, and even at like a company like NCR, where they have many devices that have very specialized uh, uh, software, and, you know, the CEO is not necessarily, and his team or her team are not necessarily going to be able to help with that. I always struggle with this where you have, especially with engineering firms, 
You have some very specialized systems that are out there. IT doesn't really have much of a say in them, but how far do they push in, push in getting involved uh, uh, with regard to those systems? Yeah, great Good question. points all. And I want to go, and we have five minutes until we're going to take a break, so I'll give you all a breather before we go into our crystal ball predictions rounds. But I'd like to talk about the specifics of innovation. I have an interesting comment here from Mark Sissier at Forrester before the show, and you said, innovation can easily be killed by a complex process. So let's do a deep dive for the next five minutes or so to my panel, please, about what does it take if IT is going to be enabling it how complex should it be, and who's going to be the survivor if it's not? Mark, you want to kick this off? Well, yeah, this is a tough one. I really, I've seen some mm-hmm. uh, processes for funding for agreeing to a particular innovative technology or whatever that just seem to go on forever. And a lot of times the sources of that innovation are high energy, you know, uh, quick-moving people who just aren't necessarily going to, going to wait for that to happen. I had one organization that they had a, a large committee, must have been 12 people, and they had to vote on any innovation, and it had to be 100% yes before they'd go ahead and fund it. Finally, somebody came along and said, you know, we're here to, what was it he said, we're here to defend democracy, not practice it. And by doing what we're doing, we're just killing off all these great ideas. So I don't know what the balance is. I, I, I know when I see it as far too bureaucratic, and it easily goes that way. But, uh, but there's got to be some basic elements that have to be in place of that process that are non-bureaucratic and that are, that are fast-moving. Good point. Dave? Yeah, thoughts? that's a great, great point. And I tell mm-hmm. you, my personal belief in philosophy is, uh, yes. boy, I love the quote that, that process can kill innovation. We've seen it many times. So I believe that uh, getting to market quickly and uh, allowing the concept of fast failure uh, to occur is really critical um, so too much structure, too much process to me is the antithesis of innovation. And uh, where it works is the companies have the courage of their conviction and their intellectual drive to take something to market in a controlled fashion and see what happens. And uh, accepting a failure as long as it's a fast failure and they don't sink tons of money, time, and effort into it. But I, I believe that's the right approach. Okay, spend. Talk to me. Yeah. Well, no, I think I, I really like this, uh, this 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 statement. I think it's absolutely right, and uh, I can tell you that I already made the same mistake in one of my previous roles. There, um, we joined with IT and had a very stringent or very hard hitting. Yeah, process rolled out uh, to monitoring KPIs and and tracking what is innovation doing, and this process really nearly killed innovation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my learning from this was is if the, the – and I think this refers back to what, what Dave said before. I think the CIO needs to keep the balance. In this case, IT was very happy and was joining uh, with the, the, uh, the business department. They are actually the, the controlling department and joined forces. They were pushing this process down uh, into the research department, and this was really dangerous. I think – Finding the CIO to, should have found the balance, actually warning, saying, well, this is not the right approach. I know this is already perhaps a bit challenging for him, but I think that's uh, really coming back to the balance that, that uh, we heard before, and I think it's absolutely right. Well, well Sven, yeah. let, me, let me add a little bit to that. I think it's a little bit like serving in tennis. If you're not double-faulting every once in a while, you're not pushing fat, you're not pushing hard enough. And if you, I, I would look at an organization which has not had failures, 
uh, I like uh, Dave's term of control failures, but mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, with control, I, if they don't have any failures, they're just not pushing hard enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Or as one of my bosses once said to me, he said, "Hey, Dave, if you're not uh, in trouble, you're not working hard enough." <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly working hard enough then. <laughs> <laughs> and in trouble from time to time too. You know what? We're just about at 45 after. You've all been working very hard. This is one of our best roundtables. I will tell all three of you where you're just uh, just rolling along. You don't even need me. I don't even know what I'm here for. No, I'm teasing. It, it's a, a great conversation, and the interplay is terrific. And I know our audience appreciates this wonderful thought leadership. The way you're all sharing ideas and bouncing off each other. So I'm going to give a one and a half minute respite to Dave Jordan from TCS. I'll give the same one and a half minutes to Mark Sassir, and I'll throw in Sven Wittern from SAP for good measure. Gentlemen, take a break. Take a drink of whatever it is that gets you going because you're all gone. High power, high gear today. Appreciate that. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take our break, and when we come back, we'll have about eight or nine minutes to ask my esteemed guests if... We met again five years from today. That would be March 4th, 2019. Yikes. Would we be having the same conversation about the need for balance between the innovation agenda of the CIO and the operational integrity and operational taking care of risks and making sure everything works right on the CIO's plate? Will we still be having that conversation or will we be light years ahead and everybody will just be one big happy family? We'll be back in two minutes. You don't want to miss their predictions. This is good stuff. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network business models have a short shelf life today's reality given shifting technologies real-time information and collaboration across time zones competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud the bottom line Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Here we are, je pense donc je suis. Yes, I am. Yes, I do. I'm talking today to Dave Jordan at TCS, Mark Sassir at Forrester Research, and Sven Wittern at SAP. Terrific panel, great energy, playing off each other, great thoughts. I hope you're all out there in the listening audience taking notes because this is stuff you can really live by. Now we're up against the end of the show. we got about 10 minutes left, and we're going to go into our crystal ball predictions round. My guests are ready. I have no clue what they're going to say 
because I didn't want to know before the show. So, Dave Jordan, if we met again five years from today on March 4th, 2019, let's make a date actually to do that, Dave. What would we be talking about in terms of the CEO versus, and I use that advisedly after this conversation, versus CIO agenda, the balance between innovation and operations? Dave, let's have a couple of seconds, about two minutes of predictions. Go ahead. Well, I'm very, very confident that five years from now, this will be sorted out in that the CEO's innovation agenda will will be taking front and center with IT responding in kind. I further believe that uh, most transformation initiatives will be self-funded mm-hmm. based on the operational improvements they offer. They will drive and fund the, the innovation. So I'm very confident of that for no other reason that um, companies that don't figure this out and don't strike the balance will not be around five years from now. So I'm sure the survival instinct, if nothing else, will carry the day on that. But I'll also say that I'm equally confident um, that five years out there will be yet another interesting paradox like this to to, uh, debate and discuss because, um, as Lewis Carroll once wrote, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think that is uh, words to live by. That's my other favorite French quote, Dave. Plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. Exactly right. I prefer it in French. There you go. Thank you. Any more predictions, Dave? I, I can give you another uh, another couple of seconds here. We're, we have plenty of time. Are you good? I'm good. Okay, glad you're good. Okay, let's move to Mark Cecier at Forrester. Mark, five years from today, will we still be having the same issue? Will it still be a hot topic or will it be a ho-hum? Everybody's getting along and everybody knows what the risks are. Everybody knows what the budgeting is. And we're all very, very happy. Innovation is the top of everybody's agenda. There's a big eye in the back of everybody's chair in the C-suite for integrity and integration and innovation. What do you think? Mark is here. I think that's pretty much it. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I, I'm going to I'm going to borrow from another area that I that I know. I spend a lot of my time redesigning IT shops, and I've seen consulting firms and and I've seen TCS and Deloitte and Accenture turn something which used to be kind of an art form of redesigning IT into a science to make it somewhat predictable, to make it with with well understood steps and with responsibilities and things like that. And I'm looking at innovation today, and I'm saying it's, it's just this dark art. It, mm-hmm. it just seems to spring from all kinds of different directions without any science behind it, without any, with very little process behind it, with very little discipline behind it. And I'll predict in five years, maybe pushing it a little bit, maybe more like seven to ten years down the road, because and a lot of this work comes from the consulting firms, but, but from other sources. I just think we're going to see more science in it. I think we're going to see a little bit more predictability, a little bit more predictability in, in how they take something, which is an idea for a new technology, for a new process, for who knows, whatever, and turn that into and identify that as something that's worthwhile investing in and then turn that into something that's useful. Because right now there is such a need for, for more discipline, for more predictability around that. And, and knowing how much these consulting firms are working on that now, I think that's what we'll see in the future. Okay, thank you, Mark. And Sven Wittern at SAP, predictions. What do you see five years ahead or whatever time frame you wish, Sven? Wow, thank you very much. 
Yeah, I think uh, what what I learned today, I think the the future for the CIO is, is looking really bright. Um, when I, I thought about this question, I was looking back a little bit, and, and there were, I remember the discussion that we had a couple of years ago. I think was started by a famous HBR article, uh, "Does IT Commoditize?" Um, I think this risk uh, we won't see in the next five years. Um, Perhaps some IT departments will become commodity. I think this will only happen if the uh, CIO puts his head into the sand and is not looking around what opportunities he has, and then it becomes outsourced and I don't know, whatever. Um, but I think the possibilities for the CIO um, are, are really, really unique. And he needs to just, I think, he needs to change, obviously. He needs to find new, uh, yeah, adapt new skills and new, uh, new role within the companies. But with that, he can become even more important within the company and play a more vital role. And uh, this, this will give him much more weight also in the discussions with the other C-suite uh, players there. By the way, and, ben, uh, that, that would make it yeah. not so bright for some, too, those that have been dwelling in obscurity and quite happy to do so. Now all of a sudden they're asked to do an awful lot more, and they may not have the skills to be able to do it. That's true. Yeah, I think I would I would put them in this in this category where I say this is where it where IT in these companies IT may become commoditized, and for yeah. the others it's really the differentiator. That's, and that's Sved, what I understand I have... from today. I have to ask you, Sven, you keep calling the CIO he. Please relieve my concern oh, here and sorry. tell me it could be a she. I'm, I'm half teasing you, but our listeners want to know that. I have a bonus question. You're all so efficient, the three of you, that we have a couple of minutes left, about three minutes left before I have to close the show. I'm going to give you each a one-minute bonus round, and the question is, five years from today, who should be sitting at the C-suite table with CIO on the back of their director's chair, if you will. What kind of education will they have? Will they come up through the ranks? Will they come through business school? Is there a new magical CIO training school somewhere in the depths of Europe that's going to produce the next superstars, the geniuses of the CIO world who will understand what the three of you have talked about? So, Dave, no pressure, but you're going to lead me on this. I'm going to give you one minute. Who should be the one? to assume the role of CIO or who will be who will you be talking about five years from today? Tell me. You can tell me age, gender, background, well, MBA or whatever. Go. I've got two um, perspectives on this. First of all, I think we know we will know we have arrived when the CEO spot is filled by former CIOs. And I think for all the reasons we've talked today, Ooh. that will happen more and more and more. As Information in IT becomes more pervasively the product and the essence of companies. So, so that's the first part. And, and the second part is who will be the future CIOs? Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, I think it's, uh, um, it's the people uh, that uh, grew up post-Internet that uh, are moving the dial every day. The phrase consumerization of IT is so critical mm-hmm. The, the, the people that take for granted technological advance and the ubiquitous nature of technology uh, in everything we do will be the natural uh, leaders of the technology function in the future. Thank you. And Mark Cicero, I'll give you – thank God. Mark Cicero, I'll give you 45 seconds. Go. I'm just, I'm just thinking that it was Dave that had to go first. I, <laughs> you can't think about it. I think, 
I think there's things they will need, and Dave talked about a lot of it. They'll need, well, to be specific, they'll need better communication skills, good management of vendor skills, design skills, all the rest of it. I think what's more, in, what's more interesting is what they won't need. And I think they're not going to be fixers anymore. A lot of, a lot of CEOs grew up by fixing technology, by being mm-hmm. network engineers, by building applications. I don't think those skills are going to be necessary five years from now as they are today. But one thing I think that may be controversial, I don't think it's going to, there's going to be an increase in people with business backgrounds becoming CIOs. I think it will probably stay about the same. And I think the reason for that is because a lot of what the CIO is going to be doing is in these hallway conversations with other executives is very quickly helping those executives to understand, again, the consequences of technology decisions. And I still think you're going to have to have roots in technology to be able to do that. And I think the business people that don't have those roots in technology won't have those. Okay, and Spend, I give you 30 seconds. We're almost out of time. Go. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. This was so great statements, and this was, I think I can add to this. I really like this, and I'm looking in the future, um, into the bright future here. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Good call on that one. I have a big prediction to make because I'm going to predict that as of next week, believe it or not, we will be on the air live five times a week. It's going to be a banner next 10 days for SAP Radio. So tomorrow is Wednesday, of course. It's time for Coffee Break with Game Changers. And that's Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. Thursday, we're debuting a brand new series called The Future of Business with Game Changers. You don't want to miss that one. That'll be Thursday, 7 a.m. Pacific. Pacific 10 Eastern. Thursday afternoon, we're still sticking around with Startup Focus. That'll be 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 Eastern. We're talking about high-tech industry. Monday, we are debuting the return of our previous show, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. They're coming back for 13 weeks. I think that's 1 p.m. Eastern. I have to check my schedule. And Tuesday, of course, we'll be back with another episode of this show, Biz Buzz with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I have a big shout-out of thank you to Dave Jordan at TCS. Mark Sisir at Forrester, Sven Wittern at SAP. I want to thank Lindsay, and I want to thank all the other people who helped put this together. Lindsay Carey, you've been wonderful supporting the guests for this show. Appreciate that very much. And uh, Susan Walker, thanks for sponsoring. Tom Flanagan, you rock. Malcolm Kimberlin, thanks for help with the guest list. Sven, you joined 48 hours before the show. We are delighted. Pleasure to meet you. Brad and the Business Channel team, thank you always very much at World Talk Radio. Here is my call to action, Dave and Mark and Sven. Here you go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Biz Buzz with Game Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.